0: Hey everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. Another Baseball America Playoff Podcast presented by my bookie, and we are here to to talk about a day in which we we now have a whole lot of knowing what's going to happen for the LCS. We still have a, a series out there, thankfully. We thankfully still will get a deciding game five, which thumbs up on that, because I think we all could enjoy that. But we have another fun day of of baseball to discuss. We're going to talk about openers. We're going to talk about Kyle Wright. We're going to talk about the team that pretty much everyone loves to hate, um, who's advancing to the uh, LCS. We're going to talk about all that today. But we're going to start off, Kyle. We have now seen a multitude of teams, three, I guess, multitude debate. Uh, four if you count the Padres, but the Padres kind of don't have anyone else to go to. But three teams go to openers and, and then I hand it off to someone else to pitch the bulk innings as the Rays who invented this kind of have, have done this. The starter and then the bulk inning guy. And I don't think you're a fan of this.
1: I think explain. Yeah. So, first of all, I think we have to review what what happened yesterday to talk through it to see just Uh this is just something that sets teams back more often than not. And any perceived platoon advantages are wiped out just because you're putting an inferior pitcher on the mound in the early innings and falling behind. And getting an early lead is so, so, so critical. It changes the entire dynamic of the game. I actually want to start with the Rays and Yankees. I talked about this in the podcast yesterday that Well, yes, the Rays had invented the opener and they were the organization most comfortable with it. They hadn't used it a ton this year. Ryan Yarborough, yesterday on the podcast, I said 10 of his 11 starts. He had started traditionally. It's actually 9 of 11. Uh, And Ryan Thompson, who they went with as an opener, it only used him in that role once in 25 appearances this year. So what happened yesterday, they opened up with Thompson. It's ugly. Inning in two-thirds, gives up a pair of runs, needs 44 pitches you have to bring Yarborough in and he ends up facing Aaron Judge anyway. So the only thing that you did, you know, you're trying to line Yarborough up against the favorable part of the lineup, but nothing really changed. All that changed was he ended up facing DJ LeMahieu one less time. He ended up having to open up against the number 2 hitter in their in their order. I mean, Ryan Yarborough gave up 5 went 5 innings, gave up 2 runs. Start with that. Instead, he comes in falling Thompson, who gave up two runs. It sets the Rays back. They're playing catch-up ball game, and they end up losing. Start with Yarborough going five innings, giving up two runs. Again, he started against the top of the lineup pretty much anyway. You're going to be in a better position to win. And then we go to the Dodgers. Look, Julio Urias has been very, very good all year. He has had first-inning struggles. There is no two ways about it. But even with those, he has been an effective pitcher for the most part part for the entire year they did this with him once as a bolt guy and they lost the game because their opener that day joe kelly gave up three runs in the first inning so again in this situation you put yourself back you put yourself behind but dustin may is a really good pitcher they went to him on short rest they decided to start with him find whatever he's a starter but you should go to urias then immediately what you then do is you put in adam choleric who Look, he's a very good lefty specialist. He's not good at all against right-handers. What happens? You bring him in, he gives up back-to-back hits to open the inning. You end up having to intentionally walk Will Myers because he's just not good against right-handed hitters. One of the singles he gave up was to Tommy Pham. And yes, the the ball four called to Jake Cronenworth was probably a strike. The run that scored came in on a weak chopper, but the bases shouldn't have been loaded in the first place. If you have Julio Urias in then, you're in a better position moving forward. And again, they end up having to bring Urias in to face Tatis, who, the way the Padres do their lineups against left-handed pitching, Tatis would have been the leadoff hitter. So Urias ends up facing the guys he pretty much would have faced anyway in almost the exact same order. There might have been some changes at the bottom, but for the most part, it didn't do anything. He ends up starting where he would have started anyway. So I just go back to teams putting inferior pitchers on the mound, falling behind. In the Dodgers case, their offense is good enough to overcome their mistakes, especially against a wounded pitching staff like the Padres. But in each case, the Rays and the Dodgers put themselves behind early to do this, and it's not worth it. You have to put your best pitcher on the mound. And I think sometimes in constantly seeking the platoon advantage early, you overlook the fact that an inferior pitcher is on the mound, and that's going to put you behind every time, as we saw it do yesterday. Not every time. Not you're you're getting into absolute. In not the, every time. In the, in the postseason, we have seen it happen three out of three times. The offense But that doesn't attack. mean it'll
0: happen every time. That's where right. I'm sorry, I'm a I'm a stickler on language. It's a, a higher probability, you're saying
1: fair. it is a that's fair. It is a higher probability. And it's one that when you especially in the Dodgers case, when you have healthy, effective starters, you don't have to do it. It's it's a risk that's not worth it and ultimately puts your team in a worse position to win the game. And it's just not smart.
0: I don't disagree with a lot of what you're saying there. I do. I have no understanding of why the Dodgers did it because the Dodgers are not a team that are trying to piece this together. The Dodgers had an abundance of options. They could have just said, here, Julio Urias, here's the ball. Go out and give us the five innings that he gave them. And they'd have been in great shape. They could have said to Tony Gonsolin here, Tony, here's the ball. Go out and basically dominate. And they have pitchers to do that. I at the same time, I will also note that I would say that in pretty much every one of these games that we've seen the opener, I don't know if it really at the end of the day, it, it would not have mattered. In I, I do not think it would have mattered in the Rays-Yankees game whether they have handed the ball to Yarborough to start the game or not. And I point that out because, as you noted, Garbo pitched well, but he gave up two runs in five innings. Well, Jordan Montgomery pitched better, and the Rays scored one run on three hits in the entirety of the game. So, whether the, it did not work for them, although as you'd also noted, the Rays are the team that does this more than anyone, it did not work for them. And I don't know why they thought that they wanted to get try to get two innings out of Thompson rather than an inning. Exactly what you said, an inning where the starter comes in against kind of more of the bottom of the lineup. And then you basically, yes, he's going to still face everyone the same amount of time, but he starts that first inning with a little bit of a weaker uh, you know, part of the lineup to face. But at the end of the day, it didn't work. I don't know why they brought Kolarik in either. I agree with you. But if they just said Dustin May and then handed it over to Urias instead of going Urias and handing it over to May, same difference for them. And May and Urias both pitched really well. So it's, it's one of those things where it, it was too cute by a, by a half to me. At the same time, and you, you touched on it, kind of we'll start with the, the finale. Julio Urias in that game, really good. I'm really impressive. And this just stands kind of as a good reminder of just the utter depth. Uh, there, are, there are very few teams that we've seen in the postseason probably they're the only one who you say at, if you got to a game five and you, they, they did get to a game five, but if they got to a game five and they hadn't used all their pitchers yet, they have a starting pitcher where you're like, do you really want to go Walker Bueller on short rest? Or would you prefer to use their number five starter? Because again, the number five starter we're talking about would be Dustin May, Julio Urias or Tony Gonsolin. If they use them more traditionally.
1: And I think that's the biggest advantage they're going to have as we move into these, uh, the seven game series portion of the postseason. And again, it just comes down to, okay, how are they going to use these guys if they do what they did now in the next series? Well, then you have burned using May and Urias. And it kind of, you know, again, you start losing the advantages you have having five healthy starters. However, there's no question they're equipped to do really, really well. Urias pitched a lot better uh, toward the end of the season, and he pitched pretty well most of the year. He'd had a couple outings where his command wasn't sharp, but um, you know we saw his last two outings were pretty good. And, and September as a whole, he had a sub-3 ERA, held opponents uh, under a 200 average. I mean, he's, he's a really good pitcher. Tony, Tony Gonsolin, really, really good pitcher. And, and that offense, we've talked about this offense is good enough, they can make up for any strategic blunders pitching wise. And that's something that's going to bail the Dodgers out. We've talked a little bit about some of the issues that they've had in the past with managing their pitching staff in the postseason. Uh, but they've had some really good offenses. This is the best one they've ever had. And that's what depth and talent can do for you it can overcome mistakes, whether that's on the field or strategic. This is just an absolutely loaded team. We've talked about it from day one this is the best team in baseball and they are a clear tier ahead of every other team. This is their world series to lose. I've said it a lot. I'm going to say it again. I think that the only team that can beat the Dodgers is the Dodgers. And even when they do some things that are more hurtful than helpful, they're so good. They can win anyway. And we saw that last night. Um, Now they're going to go face a very good Braves team. But again, the Dodgers are just on a clear tier above everyone else. And no matter who they face in the World Series, whether it's the Astros, the Rays, or the Yankees, they're going to be favored as well. This is the team that should win this World Series, no doubt.
0: I want to break that. I want to unpack that a little bit because that will take us into our second series of the day. Before we do that, though, we have a quick message. It's fall, and at my bookie, that can mean only one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. You can bet the Major League Baseball playoffs. You can bet the NBA playoffs, UFC, NFL, college football. The craziest sports fall of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of futures bets where you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. That's one word, BASEBALLAMERICA, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sports wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. And we're back. So, Kyle... I agree with you. The Dodgers are a favorite. At the same time, okay, Braves also advanced yesterday. They finish off. The, they really had very few issues finishing off the Marlins. Their pitching staff so far has been one of the uh, absolutely one of the stories of the postseason. They have a sub one ERA. The now you know for the first five games of the playoffs. Now again, playoffs are very different. Now we have wild card rounds the teams that they're being compared to, the other teams who have done this are teams that did this in the uh, turn of the 20th century that were doing this where you were playing, you know, best of four World Series and you're done. Um, so with that, you know, they're, they're, their pitch staff has been on a very high level. Their lineup's really good. I do think when you say like the Dodgers, the only team that can stop itself, I give the Dodgers like, it's like, I think they're the favorite in this NLCS, but with the way that this Braves team's lineup is, And the way that they're pitching, I want to talk about Kyle Wright because key moment for them is that they got this kind of outing from someone other than Max Fried and Ian Anderson. I think it's like 55-45. I mean, I don't think it's something where the Dodgers are an overwhelming favorite in this NLCS. I think that they are a favorite, but it's a slight favorite. And the the, the key thing I'll say there is, is that when I'm looking at this lineup versus lineup, I think the Braves lineup is better than the Dodgers lineup. When I look at this starting pitching staff versus starting pitching staff, Dodgers clearly have a better starting pitching staff. Although the front end of this Braves staff makes it not as overwhelming as an advantage as it would be against most teams. Bullpen versus bullpen, I'll give the Braves the advantage. It's deeper. And I think that they have they have I think that they have more guys who you want to have pitching in the seventh and eighth and ninths of key games. So I think the Dodgers are the favorite here. But I, before we go to the Braves-Marlins game, I, I think it's it's pretty close, though, to me.
1: So the offenses this year were very, very close. They were 1-2 in the National League in runs, home runs, and OPS. The Dodgers had slight edges, a slight edge in runs. Uh, they led in home runs, and the Braves had the edge in OPS. These offenses are very, very even. I think the Dodgers – you know they, they have a couple more guys they can turn to, so maybe it's a little deeper. If you wanted to tell me you prefer the Braves, that's fine. I think there's an argument for that. I personally prefer the Dodgers, but either way, it's it's one, two, and these are very, very good teams. What I mean by that is, I, I and I want to get to Kyle Wright because I, I talked about it last night. What he went out and did yesterday was huge for them and what it means moving forward, how real of a contender they are to get to the World Series. Um, I think the Dodgers' starting staff, you match up really, really well. Bueller versus Freed, Kershaw versus Anderson. I mean, if you don't argue it's a draw, that's fine. I don't think there's an argument it's a Braves advantage. No. Once you move into games three, four, five, I think the Dodgers have a heavy advantage. Again, provided they use Gonsolin, May, and Urias three, four, five and don't outthink themselves. That's where there's an advantage here that to me is just so enormous that it should be enough to make them, in my mind, 65 35 favorites to win the series and that's not about anything wrong with the braves in the sense of yes the back rotation is weaker but the dodgers are such a juggernaut that i just think that they have an opportunity to to, to really pull ahead and you take advantage of whatever weaknesses the braves show because the dodgers are just that good and that talented you know but, the bullpen the, the dodgers bullpen there's some questions at the back of the game but it's been a pretty good bullpen this year. And we've seen, you know, Blake Trinan and Jake McGee have, have closing experience. They're they're good relievers. You know, Gratterall has not missed bats, but he's held teams down for the most part, ERA-wise. You have options. So for me, it's that starting pitching edge. If the Dodgers use it wisely, that is an advantage that will help them win this series.
0: But no one uses five starters No one uses five starters. I I mean, again, I know it is, I I know that it is going to be, you know, like we don't have the, it's not a normal, you know, a normal LCS that way. But I, do you you think they're going to use five starters? I guess is the first way I should ask. I think they
1: need to use four. And I think what we've seen, so Dustin May has a platoon split issue. And that's why we started to see them use some kind of these bulk inning rolls. But if they go Euler game one, Kershaw game two, gonsolin Urius games three and four, and they use May as a bulk guy, especially given Bueller is still working his way back from blister issues and has is only gone four innings his first two starts. If they do that, they're fine. If they line it up that way, they're fine. But if they, they start burning May and Yurgis in the same game or May and Gonsolin in the same game, that's where they start shortchanging themselves and the advantage disappears. And that, to me, is the opening the Braves can take to win this series. But,
0: but my point being there is is having a better number five starter, we just said, like, they're not going to use that. So we're really talking about the advantages is that they have a number four starter and the Braves do not. Like, that's where in this series is, is. And again, the other thing I'll say that's probably pretty important in this is for both teams, but especially for the Braves, is the Braves sweeping where they don't face a situation where they're, inclined to go back to Max Freed on short rest in the wild card round, I mean, the division round, sorry, the division round is important because now if they have to do so, you know, in the LCS, they're not having to do this. It's not something where they're doing this to a guy who's had to do this multiple times. He's going to be, have be plenty rested. Also, I think the other key thing for them, again, of, of winning this as quickly as they did I do think that the Braves' bullpen depth, the bullpens um, of this series are going to throw probably 35 40% of all the innings. I mean, that's just kind of normal, especially as you noted, Bueller is not a guy who's right now going seven innings in an outing. Um, With that being the case, I do think that the Braves' bullpen advantage is significant. Now, but that'll circle back to what happened yesterday, which is the other key thing to me about the Braves is Kyle Wright went out, and he actually, statistically, as far as runs—not other parts of it—but as far as runs, he outperformed. He went an out an out more than Ian Anderson. Gave them another shutout start. But I think the key thing is is that we saw yesterday, to me, what we what you kind of can hope that Kyle Wright can be. And and what I mean by that is is that. The difference between watching an Ian Anderson start, Ian Anderson's a better pitcher than Kyle Wright. I think we both could agree on that. Ian Anderson can go out there and he can have innings. He could have multiple inning stretches where every pitch, almost every pitch is where he wants it to be. He's in control of his delivery. He's mixing pitches. It's just rolling for him. That's not Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright's stuff is every bit as good as Ian Anderson's, like if you grade out the pitches to me. But the difference is, is that Kyle Wright is going to have his command, his control, his control, body control of his delivery is not at Ian Anderson's level. And so even in an outing like yesterday, where Kyle Wright was as good as he's been this year, he still had pitches. Like he had a fastball late in that outing where Travis Darnot jumps out of his crouch, and basically spears it because it just completely got away from Kyle Wright. He had stretches in that game where he lost the feel for his delivery, lost the feel for his breaking ball for a batter or two. He had some traffic. The key thing for Kyle Wright, the thing that he did very well at the end of September, and the key thing that he did very, very well against the Marlins to me is his damage control has started to catch up to where it needs to be which is early in the season and in previous seasons for Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright would have innings where you're like, this is the Kyle Wright you want to see. The fastball's nasty. He's located his breaking ball. Hitters don't have a whole lot of chance. But what would always happen is he'd have that inning where the delivery would get out of sync. All of a sudden, he gives up a hit. He walks the next guy. He may hit a guy, whatever. And all of a sudden you're looking at It's like, oh, okay, Kyle Wright's in trouble here. And his damage control always was an issue. He couldn't get that delivery back together, get in sync, feel, regain that confidence in his breaking ball or locate his fastball as he needed to. And so, boom, he's rolling along. And all of a sudden it's a four-run inning. And Kyle Wright's walking off at the mound at the third, after three, with an ERA of the game that's like, you know, eight. Well, what he did yesterday to me, and he did this again at the end of the season, he was starting to do this. He did this very well in that win against the Nationals where he matched up against Max Scherzer. When he gets in trouble, he's starting to figure out the the travel, the journey of a young pitcher. He's starting to figure out, step off the mound, regain myself, re discover that feel for whatever pitch it is that i need at this time and yes i'm absolutely going to have probably two pitches an inning every inning where i flew open whether i you know my i wandered out whatever it is for him that he loses it he's regaining it quicker now and the key thing about it is is that kyle wright's stuff is good enough that if he can just do that he doesn't have to be their number one. He doesn't have to be their number two. Their Braves are going to be in the great shape next year. He doesn't, if Soroka comes back, he's their number four. And to me, he's that perfect for a good team. He's that guy, it's it's Edison Volquez when Edison Volquez was good. Like, that, that seems like I'm damning with praise, but do remember, like Edison Volquez is a guy who, at his best, was really good. Edison Volquez again. Kyle writes a little like the highs are not as high and the lows are not as low as Edison Volquez. But Edison Volquez was a guy. I think I've heard you say it. Like Edison Volquez goes out there in his prime, and you're like the first inning. You're going, okay, we're we gonna see a no hitter tonight, or we're we gonna see a guy who doesn't make it out of the second. Edison Volquez, Abaldo Jimenez, guys like that, where it's like at their best they're dominating, and at their worst they're erratic because the control command's just not there. That's to me, Kyle Wright. The encouraging thing about Kyle Wright is is that watching him, because he had traffic early in that game. That game is a game that could have gotten away from him. He's starting to figure out how, you know, he's moved on the rubber. I love the, you know, you know I love where, where guys set up on the rubber. He's moved on the rubber, but more than that, he's starting to the 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 periods of inconsistency have turned from it's 10 pitches in a row to three. And three four five he can handle that his stuff's good enough he just can't let it be okay every game there's going to be that one inning where he utterly falls apart you are I'm more of a Kyle Wright believer always have been than you as someone who's been more of the Kyle Wright skeptic what did you see from that game
1: well I thought the biggest thing the moment that to me represented the turning point was that third inning so the Braves go out in the top of the inning Get four runs. They give Kyle Wright a lead, comes back out. He immediately hits John Birdie with a pitch and gives up a single to Corey Dickerson. This is a, a critical moment. Your team just gave you a lead. You need to go out and deliver a shutout inning. Two guys are on. What's he going to do? This is exactly where it could have spiraled out of control. Comes back, strikes out Jesus Aguilar, swinging. You know, it was, a, it was a long at bat, two, seven pitch at bat, got him swinging through a curveball. Goes back out. Brian Anderson blows him away on three pitches. That was so huge for him to come back right there. Now, he walked Garrett Cooper on four pitches to load the bases up. It's definitely a little scary. Comes back. Oh, high wire act to to
0: the Kyle Wright experience.
1: Falls behind Jazz Chisholm and gets out of it, gets a grounder. To me, that third inning was the defining moment for Kyle Wright. Again, your team goes out and gives you four runs. You've got to come back with a shutdown inning. He opens up by hitting the guy, giving up a single. For him to come back and strike out two guys in the middle of the Marlins order to get himself back into it. And then rebound from walking the bases loaded. I thought that was just such a, such a huge moment for him and a huge moment for the Braves. After that, it was all gravy. Braves come back out in the top of the inning, give him another run, and from there it's just on cruise control for the most part. If Kyle Wright, the step he took, the step forward he took yesterday in that third inning and held through the rest of the game, that makes the Braves a legitimate contender to go to the NLC, uh, to the World Series, excuse me. Now, again, I think the Dodgers are, are the better team. And I went back and looked the bullpen numbers. The Dodgers bullpen actually outperformed the Braves this year by a good chunk. There are areas 274 Braves, 350, oh, two of the best five bullpens in baseball. But the Dodgers had a three quarters of a run advantage. Right,
0: and The, the pushback I'll give on that is, is that, um, and again, this is tough to do. I would love for us to compile, and maybe it's a fun one for us to put together. Is like, okay, let's compile the guys who are actually pitching. You know, who are still on the roster. The, the Braves used twenty-eight pitchers this year,
1: that's and
0: correct. so, you know, some of those guys, like, uh, you know, are are not on that road on that roster. Where it's like, okay, I don't know if that guy's, you know, should be part of the calculations or not. No, that's but correct. yeah. But
1: but going back to Wright, this to me, the way he responded in that third inning and the way he pitched yesterday. I talked about on the podcast before the day, this was going to be the defining moment of, okay, can the Braves win a seven game series? We now know that the answer is yes. As long as Kyle Wright pitches like he did, they still need a four starter to you know step up and deliver. But this, this was as encouraging a win for the Braves. Cause if they'd won, but it was, you know, seven to five and Wright had gone out and given up, you know, four runs in that third and they had to burn through the bullpen again. That would have been the red flag that said, hey, you know, good win, but y'all aren't beating the Dodgers. Now, you say, okay, they they have a shot. Are they going to be favored? No, but the way this played out was perfect for the Braves, and they're in great – they're in the best position they can be heading into this NLCS.
0: They are in a – and again, and the other thing that we should note here before moving on to the AL is this is also very significant for the Braves overall because, again, this is – the Braves have been a very good regular season team. I mean, it's kind of the story of the Braves, but the Braves have been a very good regular season team for several years. But they hadn't, they their postseason history in the 21st century has been pretty awful. They're rolling right now. That this is if you add it up, the, the the five wins they already have is a lot better than a number of these series that you know that this is a team playing good baseball at the key time of year that needs to play it. And it makes for what should be a very interesting NLCS. And again, against a juggernaut Dodgers team, it's good to have a team in this series against them who you plausibly – nothing against the Marlins. But if the Marlins had beat the Braves, and we had been talking about Dodgers versus Marlins in this series with that Marlins lineup, I would have really like been shaking my head like, okay, crazier things have happened but man, it's hard to see how the Marlins are gonna beat the Dodgers. I can absolutely see a team with Ronald Acudia, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Alves, uh, Marcelo Zuna, and by the way, the the, you know, uh, the Travis Darnode, you know, like Mr. October Travis Darnode, you know, which guys get hot. He's having an amazing run here. I can see them beating him, which is good if you're a baseball fan that there's a really compelling NLCS, not a, oh, You know, this is a speed bump along the way for the Dodgers.
1: 100%. This is going to be a really, really good series. These are the two best teams in the National League. We've seen that most of the year. This was my pick for what the NLCS would be back in February. I am very excited. I think this has a chance to be the best playoff series we have. As exciting as Padres-Dodgers was in terms of game two, it was still a three-game sweep. You know, Padres-Cardinals was very exciting in the wild card round, but um, The Braves and Dodgers, these are the two best teams in the National League for my money. These are the two teams that a lot of people thought would be here, and these are the two teams that are rolling the most right now and playing the best baseball in the National League. I'm really excited for this. I think this is going to be a great series. I tweeted it out last night. I'm really, really excited for this one. So that,
0: we, we slide over to the AL, and we, know, we do know one of our two teams in the ALCS, the Astros, Pummel? Fully, you know, take your, pick your, pick your verb. Uh, You know, the, the A's 11 to six power, power, power. Uh, You know, pretty much every, it feels like almost every game of the series is like, Hey, so an Astro hit two home runs this time. It was Mickey Brantley who did it. Um, Carlos Correa hits another one. Michael Michael Brantley. Brantley. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Mickey Brantley, man. But, the, the 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 time of staying up to watch these games must be wearing on me. Mickey Brantley's career ended a little while ago. But Michael Brantley with two home runs. Carlos Correa's also had a two-home run game. George Springer's also had a two-home run, run game. Um, and uh, basically, this game, Zach Reinke guts out four and two-thirds. But I think a key thing, again, is Christian Javier was really excellent. Yes. And... And 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 the Astros bullpen was good enough, but the big thing is, is this Astros lineup is rolling, and yes, I know what the regular season records were. I know Matt Chapman's hurt. Watching this series, it and watching and having the the history of the last three, four, five years kind of in your head, it's hard for me watching this series to say, you know what? I mean, clearly the A's were the better team. The Astros just won this. It really felt like to me that the Astros were just, they felt like the better team in this series, even if they, their, their regular season record in a 60-game season came showed nothing of the sort, the A's were clearly the better team over the regular season.
1: The Astros' best players showed up and raked. It's as simple as that. George Springer, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa. These, these are studs. These are all-stars. These are franchise-caliber talented. And Kyle Tucker, someone that a lot of people think will become a franchise caliber talent and had a really, really good first full season. The top six in that lineup are our star caliber players, either established stars or soon to be stars. And they performed like it. And when your best players are that talented and they're clicking, you're going to be very, very, very difficult to beat. So much of this season, a lot of these guys were not clicking. We see so often during a normal season, Hey, you know, guys get off to, you know, a bit of a slow start April and May June rolls around. They, they make an adjustment. They start heating up. Well, that that's, what's happening now. I mean, these guys had a a rough two months and then, you know, the equivalent of June's rolling around. It's like, Ooh, okay. We found it. We're rolling. And this just happens to be during the postseason for them. If, if these top six hitters continue to hit like they have, this is a very, very dangerous team. Um, we still need to see what this pitching staff looks like. Again, Greinke had a sore arm. He wasn't announced as a starter until yesterday morning after we'd recorded our podcast. You know, four and two thirds, five hits, four runs. It wasn't great, but, you know, using Christian Javier in this bulk relief role has worked out really well for them. That's helped them bridge the gap with their bullpen a little bit. Um, you know, Ryan Presley getting hit at the end of the game. It's not the most encouraging thing in the world, but... The yeah, but he, offensive- he also came into a game that The league was was so big that it was over. It was over. There's no question. The the way this offense is rolling, they're going to be a tough out, whether they face the Rays or the Yankees, and then whoever they face in the World Series. If these top six hitters can hit like this and continue to, and we know they're capable of it. These are star players. This is going to be a very, very, very tough team to beat.
0: The other thing I'll say with that is, is yes, the A's were without Matt Chapman. I do want to note the Astros were without Jordan Alvarez, basically for pretty much the entirety of the season. And I'm not saying Jordan Alvarez is Matt Chapman because he's not, but it is like, we talk about how deep this lineup is. It would be even deeper if they had another utterly, you know, middle of the lineup bat in, in, in this lineup. So I look at this and say, uh, you know, as much as I know that I'm fascinated, if there is a Yankees Astros ALCS, I will note that that probably is about the only, matchup out there possible where you will have kind of casual baseball fans saying I'm rooting for the Yankees because uh, they're the good guys in this series. You know, again, let's just be, you know, let's just own it. The ad, let's just acknowledge it. I guess I should say the Astros are the, the, the team that everyone wants to, wants to hate. If you're not an Astros fan, there's, they've earned that they've, <laughs> there's a reason for that. But at the same time, Man, I look at this team right now. Even with the, even with losing Justin Verlander and Jordan Alvarez, two cornerstone type guys for them, here they are in the ALCS yet again.
1: Yeah, again, this is something where you just look at this A's pitching staff, which you know, again, their starters have had some struggles, but you know, for the most part, this was still a decent staff on the whole. I mean, the Astros touched them up for forty-six hits and. 29 earned runs in 35 innings i mean they did everything right they just crushed them and and look the rays have a really good rotation the yankees you know they ha- can open up with cole and tanaka i mean there, there's good pitchers ahead but the astros offense is rolling and look their pitching staff was not great this series i mean they, they had a 5.25 era but the way that their offense was was rolling it, it didn't matter so um th- this is a really dangerous lineup we've known that they're clicking into gear now and it's it's going to be a very very juicy series regardless. But yes, if it ends up being Astros Yankees, I mean, the storylines are are going to go through the roof.
0: <laughs> so that gives us two. We we do have one Game Five. We only get one, but we do get one Game Five. We have Rays Yankees. Garrett Cole going to go against Tyler Glasnow tonight in a uh, in a must win for both. I, I think there there's a couple of stories from yesterday's game, but to me, probably the, the biggest one is he only went four innings, but Jordan Montgomery in a, a, with a team that absolutely needed a starting pitcher to go out there and shove. That's what Jordan Montgomery did. He, he handed it off to the bullpen in a situation where they were in control of the game by the time he did that. And that's crucial because, the Yankees had not gotten that in game two. We just we We've already discussed that. But also not in game three where they went with their number two starter, Masahiro Tanaka, who got beat up. And so for Jordan Montgomery to go out and do that in a game where the, the offseason is very long if he doesn't, crucial for them and also encouraging for the Yankees overall because they needed an outing like this.
1: Yeah, they had to have it. And I talked about Kyle Wright's third inning being kind of a turning point. Same thing with Jordan Montgomery. The Yankees went out, gave him two runs in the bottom of the second, comes back out the top of the third, and immediately base was loaded with one out. I mean, oh, and the middle of the order coming up, or I should say the 2-3 in the order, Brandon Lau and, and Randy Arozarena. I mean, this was a critical moment for Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees, and he goes in and he gets two ground balls from, from Lau and you know, One run came home on the four side, but bases loaded, one out. He needed to make Big pitches and he made them. And that to me was the turning point in the game. You know, fourth inning. Again, you know, the the uh the race threatened again. G-Man Choi had a leadoff single. Adamas drew a two out walk, but again, he got the ground ball for the third out that he needed. He, he walked a little bit of a tightrope there, those found two innings, but he made the big pitch when he needed to. And once he handed it off to the bullpen, that was a dominant performance. Five hitless innings, seven strikeouts, retired 15 of the 16 they faced. The Yankees have some gas they can throw at the end of games. When you can go Chad Green, Zach Britton, the role of Liz Chapman, that's really, really scary if you're an opponent. And now they get exactly what they wanted: Garrett Cole in game five. Um, this series has had so many swings. The Yankees looked so good in game one. The Rays jumped on their mistake in game two. They The Rays never trailed in games two or three. I mean, they were in complete control. The Yankees yesterday, again, Jordan Montgomery getting those big outs in the third and fourth to preserve the lead and hand the ball off to the bullpen, swung momentum back the Yankees' way. I'm excited for game five tonight. I can see this going either way. Cole's going on three days rest. Glassnow's going on two days, and so they're obviously going to get him out relatively quickly, and I, I would assume they're going to go some sort of bulk situation with Snell maybe beginning in the third. Um, we'll see what they do. But it's going to be a really, really tense, exciting Game Five, and I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I do want to note here is Glasno pitched five in Game Two. It not only pitched five, but you know, pitched five innings and uh, threw 93 pitches. I just using him to start the game. I get it, but at the same time. This is something, he's professional, I, I get that and all that, but at the same time, I, I, let me just make clear, if this was happening in the College World Series, we would be talking about, oh, this is a little dicey to be going you know, back so soon after 93 pitches. I don't know how much you can really expect out of him. Like, I, I think that there is some risk to this of how good of Tyler Glasnow are you going to get? Because this is... This is not saying, hey, we're going to bump you up by a day off of your normal schedule. This is essentially taking your throw day and trying to make it into, can we get, I don't know, six, nine outs out of you? And it may work out. But at the same time, there is some uh, – the, the best way I put it is, is to me, Tyler Glassno goes out to start this game. This is an all-hands-on-deck situation. I'd have someone warming up almost from moment one because if he doesn't have it, you don't have the time to have him try to work through that because this is not, this is when I talk about, you know, we talk about putting guys in situations to succeed. To me, there is a lot of risk asking a guy to start a game who is coming back on really short rest.
1: There's no question. This is a huge, huge, huge risk. Again, especially when you consider, you know, you have Blake Snell, who is on three days rest. Now, again, I just I I go back to it's going to be dependent on how they use him. We saw the Nationals do this a little bit where they use their starters on their throw day, but it was in the bullpen. It was in relief. Hey, you know, Patrick Corbin, Max Scherzer, you know, we need you to come, you know, throw the sixth or the seventh. And that's where if the Rays felt like they wanted to do this to get the bulk innings, for me, it's okay. Throw Snell out there. See if he can get you the first three or four. Because again, he's still on three days rest. It's short rest for him, too. But see if he can get you three or four. You have the arms. And, you know, Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo give you, you know, five, six. If you want to bring class now in to pitch the eighth, if, it, if it's a critical matchup, go ahead. This is a huge risk. I think you can argue it's an unnecessary risk. But it's what the Rays have chosen. And at the end of the day, it's about players going out and performing. And... I I don't know what they're going to ask of Tyler Glassman. I think trying to predict what the Rays are going to do is a fool's errand. If they say, just go get the first two outs, retire LeMahieu and Judge, then we'll bring Snell in to start with Aaron Hicks. Maybe if they try and get one inning out of him, two innings out of him, I, I, I would imagine the shorter, the better, just given he's on two days rest. Um, but I'm going to be very, very curious to see what they do and what their plan is.
0: It's going to be fascinating. Again, I'm just glad that we get a game five. I mean, that's, that's kind of key. You know, I, I for one, I want baseball today and for two, I want it to be, we should, I, I always want there to be at least one with the LCS. Please have one of those series go to game seven because games, game fives and the best of five game sevens and the best of seven are the most enjoyable. I, right now I'm having flashbacks to 2016 Cubs Indians world series it, as a, again, as a fan of baseball, not, you know, I, we're in a weird situation when you say, who's my favorite team. It's like, I it kind of varies because I'm just rooting for good baseball. The, the, the do or die games are the best baseball. I hope we get a, I, the key thing also tonight is I hope we get something compelling. I really hope that we're not in a situation where someone jumps out to a six run lead in the first couple of innings. I'll still be watching to the end, hoping because again, the crazy world now of of baseball, you can see big comebacks. But let's have this be something where the go-ahead run for both teams is getting on base every now and then over the course of seven, eight, nine innings, to where again, I'm I'm very excited. We have do or die baseball. That's always the best.
1: 100. This is this is what's fun about the postseason. You know, winner take all, backs against the wall, and see who shows up and and plays postseason hero i'm definitely looking forward to this and this is why the yankees got garrett cole Uh, this is this is the moment right here and i'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out
0: we will be back to talk about that and to look ahead at the lcs's we'll return on monday with another this is working out well for us we're not having games on the weekend we're not we're not going to record podcasts on the weekend i'm sorry we're gonna we 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 do have limits doesn't matter right now i mean again yes we're not going to get that analysis of tonight's game five tomorrow morning, but we will analyze it on Monday. And again, like we had last weekend, you're not missing anything else because you know, the weekend is clear of baseball,
1: but we will have the ALCS starting on Sunday.
0: I apologize. You know, yeah. I apologize. We clearly don't edit this because I'm leaving this in to show my stupidity. I thought it started on Monday. That's really dumb yeah, on my yeah.
1: NLC, part. NLC NLCS goes uh, goes Monday. So the National League teams are going to be more well-rested than the American League teams, going to a game five, at least the Yankees raise, and then having to start on Sunday. So that's another advantage for the Astros. They have an extra day of rest against whoever they're going to play.
0: That is kind of key, especially, again, the Astros are a team that needs that more than anyone, too, because, again, they're, they're starting rotation a little, uh, a little less depth there because of especially we got to see how Zach Granky can go but okay i'm the idiot there i'll own it you know we'll leave it in there we're not editing that but for kyle i'm jj here on the baseball america playoff podcast presented by my bookie so long everybody